I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is week one of a new theme month. This is our Steve Martin theme month. We uh, have often complained to each other about how comedy isn't what it used to be and how we kind of miss some of the comedies, like a comedy that could actually be in the top 10 of the year or something. And so we decided that at some point we were going to do a comedian and I pushed very heavily to to do Steve Martin mm. because he's a comedian I'm fond of and I've enjoyed many of his films. We are not going to hit on some of the more familiar classics. Like, we're not going to do The Three Amigos because mm. everyone's seen The Three Amigos, including us. And so we decided to do some that either one or neither of us had seen. And I, because this was my idea, I insisted that because Nate has never seen the 1987 movie Roxanne that we were going to start with Roxanne to start the theme month. Yes. And so that's what we have just finished watching. Nate, it was your first time watching it. Why don't you lead us off with first impressions? Well, I was obviously aware of this, this film had a friend in growing up. We gave him a shout out, John Hager, who spoke very highly of this film, but I just, for whatever reason, I never ended up seeing it. Uh, it is, of course, based on a play. Serrano de Bergerac. Yeah, which has been made into film several times before. And I haven't told you this yet, but in preparation for this recording, there is a new version out with Peter Dinklage. Oh, yeah. I did not see that, but I thought about seeing it. Yeah. That would supposed to have been a funnier joke than it ended up being. But this ended up being... I, I really like this. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It it uh, started out a little slow, a little conventional, and it grew and it kind of matured. It's very much a nineteen eighties. Yeah, well, from the beginning, from that that music at the beginning, that warm kind of light comedy, sentimental music is like that is such an eighties score. Kind of, kind of a. It's almost like cliche. a trope. Yeah. yeah, and I I was into the movie, but there was one. A brief period or two where I was just kind of like looking. It had a buffering issue and a few other things while we were watching. But I caught this little summary of something Roger Ebert had said about the film. And he said basically, you know, this is a, this is a good comedy. It's a solid comedy. But what sets it apart is the mood and the tone that it, it is able to establish. Like, this is this is funny. But it's not like laughing, wall-to-wall laughs kind, kind of film. But the tone and the mood that it creates really elevates it. It's got some imperfections. I thought the ending was a little bit rushed. But there's also things... It's, it's very well structured. They show CD's ability to get on roofs. Very, he's a very agile, aerobic person. And how that ended up playing into really the climax of the film and a lot of important scenes in the film. Steve Martin, of course, wrote this. Yes. And it's... Spend a screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay trying to basically take the... I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Serrano de, de Bergerac. Saying basically it needed to be... You know, he wanted to update it to like a, a then modern day type of story. Mm. And that was what he wanted to do. Steve Martin has said that this was the first time that he felt respected for movies and not just recognized on screen for his stand-up comedy. Mm. And like you said, he he did write the screenplay in many ways, and we'll get into this later. It's smarter than it needs to be. 
Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got more of an emotional. Like, you're right. It is. It's. It's better than it needs to be. I mean, the basic plot, you know, is from the play. It's about the man with the rather pronounced proboscis who vicariously uh, romances a woman that he's quite smitten with through uh, kind of a well-meaning doofus of a guy who's also smitten with her. And, yeah, there's more substance to it. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's uh, you, you, could make, you could make a stupid comedy about a guy with a big nose. And this doesn't. It uses the big nose as a vehicle to talk about something deeper. Yeah. The play was written in 1897 by Edmund Rostand. Uh, there was a real-life Serrano de Bergerac, but the play is a fictionalization based on the outlines of his life. Uh-huh. That was from a Wikipedia article. Yeah, there's there's five acts in the play, and it has, of course, been done many a time. As you mentioned, it's been more, remade more recently and things of that nature. Let's, I guess let's uh, touch briefly on the cast. You have Steve Martin playing C.D. Bales. Daryl Hannah is Roxanne. Rick Rosovich is Chris. What did you think of Rick Rosovich? He was what he needed to be. That yeah. part needed to be. One of the first things I noticed about him is like, who is this guy? Like, like he he's didn't been really in a have, bunch of stuff. He, but he's, he's a working actor, but he's not like this is really. But this pinnacle. was different than type for him. Yeah, because his other like filmography. There's a lot of cop stuff. It well, like. he was in Top Gun. He was in The Terminator. He also was in Navy Seals right. from 1990. So just a, a very different type of actor than what he plays in this in this movie. You also have Shelley Duvall Pleasant as Dixie. Pleasant to see her. Yeah. And I then, like that relationship between them. They're, they're God siblings. And I'm yeah. like, that's kind of clever. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Well, so they grew up, they're not blood-related, but they grew up together. But they also right? make up, like, other relations, you know, like, the movie makes up other relations, you know. Mm. Like, like Steve Martin's fictional sister's Girlfriend, Girlfriend. <laughs> you know, yeah. But you also have uh, Fred Willard in this. He's the mayor of the town as he's, well as a member of the volunteer fire yeah, department. He's fun. Have Michael Pollard is a is a character named Andy Damon Wayans. Very early Damon Wayans appearance. This is the film debut of Kevin Nealon. Do you remember where he was? I believe he's credited as drunk number two. Was that his credited role? Yeah. I missed that. He is one of the drunks that CD meets at the very beginning and yeah. beats up with the tennis racket. Yeah, I was fond of this movie. I remember seeing it, you know, when I was quite a bit younger, yeah. and it just left an impression. And it was one of those movies that you also could show a family. Yeah. An interesting side note about this movie: when it was originally submitted to the MPAA, it was rated R. They appealed it, made no edits to it. And it was given, and after they appealed it, it was given a PG rating. Wow! With no cuts. That that is that's a curious thing. Yeah. However, for the airing this on TV, one joke was removed. Okay. Do you have any guess which uh, joke? No, I don't. So it's in the bar scene when the guy says, "Do you think you could do better?" Mm-hmm. And the only joke they removed is, you know, about his nose, and he says. Finally, a man who can please two women at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. It's the only joke they removed for the TV edits, and the rest of the movie played uncut on TV. Mm. So, I don't expect that we're going to talk excessively long about this movie. As we were talking about coming into, like, pr- prior to watching the movie, 
perhaps the one downfall to doing comedies is you tend not to talk about them quite as long. There's not, there's often not a lot to say, especially if they're straightforward. Well, and I'm going to, the things that I'm going to say about this are, are kind of part of the trivia and stuff. All right. And allude, like I was alluding to earlier, how it was smarter than it needs to be. And that'll be illuminated some as I get into some of the trivia. I did have a little bit of a question for you. Okay. Where's the set? Now, I know it's filmed in British Columbia. It's set in a fictional town called... Let me double check, because I actually did look this up. I believe it's supposed to be in, like, the, the Pacific Northwest. I got the impression Sierra Nevadas, because they were talking about Tahoe and other locations like that. I'm, I'm thinking Northern California. That's possible. I thought I had another... It's a, it's a summer... It's, well, it's, it's a resort community. Yeah. And this takes place over the summer. I mean, we, we barely talk... I mean, we talked about the very basics of the plot, but Steve Martin is D.D. Bales. He is the chief of police of this little resort town. The fire chief. Fire chief. But it's a volunteer fire department who has hired their first full-time firefighter. No. So everyone else in the fire department is volunteers. Well, I think he's he's got to be paid, right? I believe Bales? he is. Because he's the chief. Yeah, but everyone else, like the the mayor, Mayor Deeb's, mm-hmm. Andy, and they're just Dean, incompetent. You know, all these guys he's generally incompetent. And well, but did, that comes from the play. Yeah, because like he's yeah, there's some bumbling people in the play. Like, I think it's a circle. stage, like a they're in the play, they're performers of some sort. I think I'll get into some of that all in right. the trivia, but yeah. But anyway, he 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 ends up that, uh, that there's an arc there that works. Yeah. They they end up getting they trained. basically substitute their ineptitude at sword fighting for ineptitude okay. at firefighting. Okay, and they end up becoming good enough to put out like the one fire that's happened in this town in forever. Yeah, uh, after Chris, who's their one full time firefighter, yeah, actually, actually he leaves leaves. Yeah, because he's kind of a flatty guy. And then Daryl Hannah's Roxanne is in town for the summer. Because she is tracking a comet, and this is a higher elevation without a lot of interference, city lights and things like that. And that's another one of the arcs, which is the comet she finds and gets to name. Yeah. And there's some, and this is also a spot where it's funnier than it needs to be. Because when they're talking about that, there's some dialogue that's pretty, like, that I'll get into in a minute that's, that's funny. Like, they talk about a star M31. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a star that's named for Saron de Bergerac. Oh, okay. Or ha- something having to do with the play. I'll get into that in a minute, but yeah. So again, there's a number of ways in which this is smarter than it, it needs to be, but yeah, it's a pretty straightforward kind of plot. You know, that romantic story, again, following the outlines of the short Saron de Bergerac play and story, yeah. where he's got a, you know, the eventually the, the beautiful girl figures out that she's not in love with the handsome gentleman, but the person... You know. He's writing his letters for him and yeah. feeding him his lines. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into some of the trivia. Okay. When CD is challenged to think of 20 better jokes, and this is coming from the trivia section of IMDb, when CD is challenged to think of 20 better jokes than Big Nose, one of them, you must love the little birdies that you can give them this perch on, is taken directly from the original scene in the in the play. Okay. One of the insults that CD comes up with is, your nose was on time, but you were 15 minutes late. Serrano laments later in the play that his nose precedes him by 15 minutes. Mm. This was a filming thing. While wearing the false nose, Steve Martin was often greeted with the phrase, nice nose. One day between scenes, he had to use the laboratory in a bar, and on the way across the room, he passed a group of bikers. Stealing himself for the usual greeting, he was delighted to hear one of the bikers instead ask, 
Why the long face? So another funny thing in the movie. So CDO, someone insults him at the bar and he takes offense to basically how lame the insult is. And he's instead challenged to come up with better. And he says, well, throw the dart and whatever number you hit, that's how many jokes I'll tell that are better. And the guy hits the 20 twice, you know, because the first time he hits 20 and CD's like, oh, I don't want to come up with 20 jokes. Best two out of three. And the guy's a dart champion and hits it again. After CD tells 19 jokes, he asks the crowd, how many is that? To which he's told 14. And he goes on to tell another six, making it 25 in total. The trivia section of IMDb will say the waffles on the number, and that has to do with the one having been deleted for the TV version. Okay. Yeah, Steve Martin was a driving force behind Roxanne as both the writer and star of the comedy. Martin's inventive com- comedic comic mind was turned loose as he undertook the considerable challenge of creating a 1980s com- comedic hero based on the witty work of playwright Edmund Rostand. Martin remembered, I was about 12, year old, 12 years old when I first saw the play Serrano de Borjak. And I found it to be very compelling. I kept thinking about it. The story and structure are flawless. The play is moving, beautiful, and funny. About four years ago, I started thinking about that it also has everything you could want in a, in a movie romance, high comedy, and a great story. It seemed a perfect vehicle for me to update, but the play is very, very 11th century, especially in the joke department, and there are lots of swords, lights, and, and monasteries. You know, things that don't really function much in our lives anymore. So Martin adapted the classic, retraining the triangle dilemma, but moving the story to a modern-day trendy ski resort town. The town's handsome, inarticulate swordsman becomes a tongue-tied firefighter in Roxanne. The source original Serrano de Borjak's brave militant regiment has become his inept volunteer fire brigade. C.D. Bales fights fires and not battles and rescued treed cats and not ladies' honor. Steve Martin noted, but the story is still there, and the classic story of how this beautiful woman comes to understand whom she really loves, which is, I think that's a pretty good encapsulation of this film. Mm-hmm. So, ah, here's the thing I was looking for earlier. C.D. Bale's character, played by Steve Martin, is the fire chief of the fictional town of Nelson, Washington. Okay. But filmed in Nelson, British Columbia. Bale's, from his youth, was ridiculed a lot because of his uh, feature, said Martin, who added... He's very quick, very sophisticated as a writer, and pretty much in control of his life, except for his one handicap. He has been thinking up jokes about it his whole life, collecting them, and after a life of ridicule thought, you've become pretty defensive. Oh, so when he goes to the cosmetic surgeon's Mm -hmm. office, he goes to the cosmetic surgeon's office. Did you happen to catch the name on the desk? I did not. It's Dr. D. Shapissi, or Dave Shapissi. And this is a reference to the movie's director, Fred Shapissi. Mm. Don't mix them up or they get Shapissi. Yeah. There you go. C.D. Bales. If you look at his initials, it's the same as Serrano de Borjak. Oh, they actually used the town's actual fire station in the movie. And if you look closely when they're there, you can actually read on the door of the fire vehicles. Nelson, British Columbia. So they didn't change anything. It was number 10 on Gene Siskel's list of best films of 1987. When CD, so when CD first goes over to Roxanne's house, lets her in when she's outside nude, he's there. And if you remember at one point, the telescope is covered by a like sheet or a blanket Mm -hmm. and she mentioned, makes mention of it. And you know, he goes and pulls it off. He says, in fact, his line is, I thought you'd never ask. And she says, I didn't, (laughs) Um, but he uncovers it. And as they're talking about the telescope, 
he says, you must know M31. Now, see, I like when they give astronomical names to things like Andromeda. Well, Messier, M31, is the Andromeda galaxy. Uh, in the scene in which CD is dropping the second letter into the mail, he is clearly holding a copy of Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Did you notice that? No. Yeah. This one's funny. At one point in the film, a character is talking to Chris about Roxanne's surname being odd and says, it's Kaczynski or something like that. Iceman Kaczynski was Val Kilmer's character in Top Gun 1986, which also starred Rick Rosevich. Mm-hmm. Included among the American Film Institute's 2000 list of the 500 movies nominated for the Top 100 Funniest American Movies. There's 500 movies nominated for um, that list. That's most of the ones that I wanted to touch on from the trivia. Yeah, there's good lines in this movie. It's, yeah, there's a lot of no, funny Nobody things. practices uh, sarcasm, irony in this town. I was the, uh, not since 83, I was the last practitioner, and I gave it up because I was tired of being stared at. How did you like the alien abduction scene? Oh, the alien abduction scene. We'll miss Dallas, girls. <laughs> I figured you'd appreciate that line. Water's your friend. I'm afraid of worms, Roxanne. Yeah. Earn more sessions by slivening. Any other uh, thoughts on this film? I I quite enjoyed it. I was uh, one. I, I thought I'd like it, but I thought it was it was deeper. It was better than I thought it would be. When I was flipping through. Uh, Online about it, I saw an article from a few years back called uh, Why Roxanne is Better Than You Remember It. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Because I think you have this conception, uh, you know, this guy with the big nose and it's a love triangle thing. And it's just, it's, as we've said before, it's smarter than it needs to be. It's deeper than it might uh, appear to be at first, uh, first glance. And it's just wonderfully put together it's a wonderfully structured film yeah and it's well acted it's just it's a that's a real pleasant surprise yeah i was a little bit nervous because i have talked up roxanne to you for many years we've discussed it numerous times and here we are approaching its 35th anniversary this year huh. and i was a little bit concerned that this might not hold up as well mm-hmm. as, as i had remembered it you know because it's been probably the better part of 10 years since i've seen it it does. It, it is a little bit dated, but I think it holds up fairly well. Hmm. Any thoughts in that regard? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Not particularly dated at all. Yeah. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I look. It. It doesn't scream 1980s at you, other than some of the scoring and the settings. Yeah. Hmm. Like that bar scene. Yeah. Where they're actually still smoking inside. Oh yeah. 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 Little things like that. But uh, no, I wouldn't say it's dated. It has not dated hard. Yeah. It'd be fun to, like, go... if Like, if that town was still that way, yeah. it'd be fun to go to that restaurant where Dixie's well, I, is. I had commented that I wanted, to, for for dinner next week, we should go to Dixie's. Yeah. It looks like a cool place. Or the store All Things Dead. All Things Dead. Yeah. How would you rate this movie? I am going to give it three and a half stars and eight out of ten. Wow. I'm actually a little bit surprised that mm. we're that close together. I also rate this eight stars on the 10-star scale. I would give it, again, because of that half-star thing, I'd probably just give it three stars on the four-star scale. I'd say it's a little better than good. Yeah. So I would give it three and a half. Box office, it had an estimated budget of $12 million. 
So pretty good budget for 1987. It's opening weekend. It grossed four and a half million dollars U.S. domestic. Its domestic gross was forty million dollars. So fairly successful. Actually, that's what it's listing as its worldwide gross is just over forty million dollars. So not much that anybody's going to complain about in 1987. Mm. Reasonably successful film. It has on IMDb an aggregate score of just 6.6 stars. Yeah, I think I saw that. Which is part of why I was surprised you liked it as much Mm. as you did. I think it's a fun film. It holds up well. And I'm glad that my first selection actually held up well. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this one? I'm good. I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Robin Nate Record a Podcast. You're going to give me some levels testing? Okay. <laughs> the levels are being tested. As is your patience. Yeah. Oh, I need to put up right? the other thing. Yeah, you're fine. I just didn't put it up yet. Do you find that you get a lot of solicitation phone calls that say, like, spam risk? I get a certain a certain amount, yeah. I get a lot of it. Do you want to know a secret to stopping them? What? Answer them and hit mute and just leave your phone. I did something like that today, but I just was thinking that I, I want to have some fun with it. Uh-huh. Like, spam, buddy! Mr. Risk calling me at work. No, I used to get a lot more than I get now, and I just started every time I get them, I, I answer the call. I mean, I answer every call because of my job, and then I just hit the mute button and just leave the line open because if you send them to voicemail, they know that it's a real number and they sell your number. If you answer and hang up on them, they know it's a valid number and they sell your number. If you open it and just mute it and leave it like an open line, they think it's a computer that it's calling and they stop selling your number because they don't think it's a valid number. Okay. So I went from getting four and five a day to now I get two or three a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, important public service announcement. Yeah, that will end up in the outtakes. Yeah. Yeah. The 1987... Yeah, I was relieved that this worked out. You know how, like, sometimes you talk about a movie for a long time, and then it's not that good? Yeah. I was very afraid of that. So, I'm a, I'm a little surprised you liked it as much as you did, mm-hmm. but I'm happy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll have to revisit this. Yeah, it's one to put into a rotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably see it every, I'd say I probably saw it every five years from, at least once every five years from 1987 until, like, the 20-teens. Mm-hmm. And then I hadn't seen it in quite a while, so. Fun. You got any uh, so sponsored talk, advertisements they, they for They talk us? about, in, in the film, about uh, Dixie's talking to uh, Roxanne, and they're talking about how uh, CD's, you know, re- reading his encyclopedias. Well, he reads encyclopedias. Like, he is an encyclopedia. Yeah. And in some ways, I am. Now, <laughs> now my brain... Is a piece of work because certain things that that would be really helpful, like how do I change the wiper fluid by by my car? Do I do that or do I bring it in? Have I done it before? I can't remember that. Yeah. But what I can remember, I will tell you this: you don't change it, you refill it. You refill it. 
<laughs> probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, years ago, I saw, I talked a little bit about this movie. It's a guilty pleasure movie for me. It's Wakar the Dewey Cox. Uh-huh. I recently rewatched it. It was on Prime, and it was we got to lead Prime. So I'm like, I should. I haven't seen this in a few years. I'm going to rewatch it. So that is a film. It's a spoof, uh, based basically uh, Walk the Line. It's uh-huh. basically a, a, a fake Johnny Cash type figure uh, biopic, and it makes fun of musical biopics. They're all the same, and so they have a lot of kind of spoof songs in it. So they have a song. That's kind of the equivalent of I Walk the Line. And, and you know, they kind of homage this to other songs. Yeah. And there's a period in which the Dewey Cox character goes through his Bob Dylan phase. And he sings these songs that are just like nonsense lyrics. And there, there's a song in there called Royal Jelly that I just thought was freaking hilarious. And so this was like, like the summer of 2009 or 8 or something when I first saw it. I taught myself the lyrics to that song. Oh, yeah. At least the first verse and the chorus. I think there's a second verse that I'm... And I, I believe that this is going to be roughly 95% accurate to the nonsense words in Royal Jelly. Mailboxes drip like lamppost in the twisted birth canal of the Coliseum. Rimjob fairy teapots mask the temper tantrums. Oh, say, can you see them? Stuffed cabbage is the darling of the laundromat. And the sorority mascot sat with the lumberjack, pressing, passing, peeling half-synthetic fabrications of his time. The mouse with the overbite explained how the rabbits were ensnared. In its skinny, scanny self-rash, the apothecary diplomat inside the three-eyed monkey within inches of his toaster oven life. In my mind, I'm half-blind, my inner riff, mostly deaf, I'm smell impaired, if you care. My sense of taste is wasted on the phosphorescent orange peels of San Francisco accent-crested frenzy. Let me touch you, let me touch you, let me touch you, where the royal jelly gets made. Permanently lodged in there. I'm impressed. I'm genuinely impressed. All nonsense lyrics. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm impressed that you remembered that. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed and a little, a little scared. <laughs> I've been long impressed by... We have a long history with some of the things you remember. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, gen, it's general... Uh, it's paid off many a time for mm-hmm. me. So inter, you've been my source of entertainment at various times for well over 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>